We are nope. We are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, sacrificially serving Jesus, and making making disciples. Holy cow! Making disciples, proclaiming the gospel, and sacrificially serving Jesus. We say that every Sunday, and. Somehow it got mixed up in my mind, but that is what we really do long to be, that we'd be focused, centered on Jesus, proclaiming a few exciting things coming up. We have a Christmas Eve service starting at 4 p.m. We'll be here 4 to 5 under the tent Christmas Eve, so we're really excited about that. Join us if you are interested. Also, you have on your seat um, a card with the, on the back of it is a QR code. And that QR code is great if you feel like, hey, I want to get connected, but I'm not really sure how, or I have a question for a pastor, I want to talk to them, or uh, if you're willing to help set up or serve in some way, we still need helpers uh, early morning to set up here on Sundays. So all those ways, you can connect with us with that QR code. It's really helpful uh, to connect here at Grace. Well, we're going to open with Psalm 130, verses 1 through 4. So if you'd stand with me, and we'll read from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And Father, we rejoice in the fact that there is forgiveness with you. There is kindness and grace that you may be feared. So we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart this morning. Show us the glory and beauty and majesty of Jesus, your son. Impress on us eternal realities and let the truths of the gospel flow out of us this week. Help us to live in a manner that puts you on display. So encourage us, strengthen us for those who feel they are in the depths this morning. Lift them up so that you would be worshipped forever and ever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
if you would remain standing and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke 1 this morning, and we'll read verses 57 to 80. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our god whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. You can have a seat, and we're going to pray together. And this morning, we're going to remember Folly and Lily Ravwangi. The Ravwangis are a family from Madagascar, born and raised there, and they are doing uh, pastoral training there and church planting there, taking the gospel into areas that have never been accessed before. And so uh, we support them. We want to especially pray for them, remember them. Uh, COVID has hit their economy particularly hard in Madagascar, so uh, we want to remember them as we pray this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you because of the blood of your son, Jesus. We come before you in his name. We come before you with him as our only hope. But because of him, we know we can come joyfully with confidence. We're at peace with you. We're washed by his blood. And so we rejoice this morning that we can call you Father. We can call you our Lord, our God, our Savior, our friend, our helper, our Redeemer. So we worship you this morning. Father, we we worship you that you sent your son, to take on human flesh, that, that he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and was humbled even to death on a cross as a criminal, though he had done nothing wrong. And we know that now he is exalted and raised up at your right hand, ruling as king over every inch of this universe. And we exalt and we worship him as the only Lord and God and Savior. So we praise you and we thank you for what what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus came and took on human flesh to rescue 
us who were running, who were broken, who were needy, who had nothing that would recommend us to you or make us pleasing in your sight, but yet your great love overflowed to us nonetheless. And Father, we ask for Folly and for Lily in Madagascar and for their family that you would encourage, strengthen them, provide for their physical needs, provide for their spiritual needs, Lord. May their church there um, be, be strong in the truth and in love for others. God, let the gospel go into places it's never been through their ministry. Let, let the truth be proclaimed in the darkness and let the light of Christ shine in places where it's never yet been. I pray that we would support them and encourage them well financially and through prayer and through all other means, Lord, that we would hold the rope well for them. Lord, we pray this morning that you would change us under the power of your word, that you would give us clarity about who you are and that you would impress eternal truth on our hearts and on our minds so that we would love you and love others as we go about our week this week. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.
Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning that we can sing of and remember that Christ is born, the Lamb who was given, slain for our pardon. God, your promise is peace for those of us who believe, and we believe in this promise. We thank you for sending your Son, and Jesus, we thank you for coming and living a perfect life and dying a death that we deserved exchanging righteousness for righteousness so that we could stand before the Father blameless with great joy. We thank you and we praise you. We ask and pray all these things by the blood and in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. so good to be reminded that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. But I don't know about you, but it seems that this is a, a pretty unchristmasy Christmas it's shaping up to be. We're trying hard, but I've noticed less lights and less expectation and even less Christmas cheer out and about. I think the sun is shining, but I think it might be for a lot of people a dreary diagnosis of a lot of downcast souls, a lot of people sad, and a lot of people aching in their hearts, a lot of their pain of this year, uh, a lot of plans by the wayside, and I think it's made, this year has made all of us, you know, re, rethink our priorities in life. And so it's interesting that we would be thinking about magnifying the Lord in a time when many times we're magnifying our problems. One person said this, I would love for something great to happen in 2020, 
because this has been the most depressing year of my existence. That mirrors a lot of people's feelings. And now enter Magnify the Lord as a Christmas series. And we've been seeing Mary and Elizabeth magnifying the Lord, not, not taking a minuscule Savior, a microscopic Savior, and making Him look bigger, but basically saying, here is how the Word of God shows Jesus Christ, and we want to see Him in all His glory, increasingly seeing Him more accurately and wanting anyone around us to see Him as He is. That's our prayer for you, that you would see Jesus as He truly is, that you would not as many of us do, magnify all your pain and all your problems, that you would magnify the Lord, that you would see Him as the Scriptures present Him and believe in Him accordingly. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll take something in life and magnify it, and then we minimize the Bible. We minimize Jesus. We minimize what God might be doing because we are so wrapped up in making a big deal about something that isn't the big deal in life, right? That's how we are many times. I, li- I think that we're going to look back at 2020 and say, this was the best year ever because God pared us down to the basics. I'm going to look back at 2020 and say, this is the best year ever because I've seen God do things that there is no way, when you're painted into a corner, when things look bleak, and God shows up, He's here always with us, and he does something that can only be attributed to God Almighty. And I think we can look back even at this Christmas and say, wow, this is actually really good that there's less lights and less cheer and less expectation because we're pared down to the basics, just like they were at the first Christmas, pared down to the bare word of God. What does the Bible say? That's what they had to go off of. What does the Bible say? Today we're looking at Zechariah. Zechariah is a Hebrew name in the Greek. It's Zacharias. So some of your Bibles say Zacharias. Others say Zechariah. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick up the story when John the Baptist is being born. And so in your Bibles, it's Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Pick it up there with me. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. She was old in life. She was past the age of childbearing. She had no kids uh, up until this point. She was known as barren. She was supernaturally given the ability to have a child because God chose for her to be the mother of John the Baptist. And so all the friends and relatives, all the people rejoiced with her because God showed her great mercy. Showed mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, this was the custom, on the eighth day you'd go to the temple and you'd have the, child, the, the son circumcised, and then that's when you would name the child. And they were about to name him Zechariah after his father. Now, Mary says, no, he shall be called John. John, excuse me, Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, no, sh- he shall be called John. Thank you, Aaron. You pointed that out for me. I saw her mouthing, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. People on live stream, this is what happens sometimes, right? We say the wrong word, but a friend says, You're gonna, I'm going to keep looking over at you and you just let me know, okay? Because this is good. So Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. 
His name is John. John means God is gracious. But there's no one in the family named John. People are like, what is up with that? So they're looking at Zechariah, and they're making motions to the guy because he can't talk. Now, maybe some of them thought he also couldn't hear, but they're making motions to him. And interestingly, Zechariah didn't just say, uh, you know, point to his wife and, and give it like what she said, <laughs> uh, you know. No, he, he asked for a writing tablet, which would have been a piece of wood or stone with some, with some uh, wax on it. And then you would take a writing utensil and, and press into it and, and write something. And he says, his name is John. Now, they're all confused. Like, what is up with this? They're all wondering. Why was Zechariah not able to talk? This was not a lifelong thing. He'd only not been able to talk for a little over nine months. The whole entire time that Elizabeth was pregnant, he was not able to talk. So you've got to go back in the story. Go earlier in Luke chapter 1. I've been listening to this chapter and reading this chapter so much. It's so in me right now. I love it. In verse 5, it says, in the days of Herod. So they're marking time in those days by who is the political ruler. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He was a Levitical priest. This guy was serving God. And he was of the division of Abijah. That's uh, the eighth of 24 divisions, each would minister for a week twice a year. So he was going in for a one-week stint of serving the Lord. And he and his wife Elizabeth were both, here's what it says, righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They loved God and they were following his word. It says very clearly they had no child. She was barren. They were both advanced in years. So while he's serving as a priest, all of the sudden, and he's basically praying, okay? He's doing the, the altar of incense, and he's going in to pray. And there appears to him the angel Gabriel and gives him the standard greeting when you're not in big trouble. Fear not, all right? Fear not, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? I don't think at that point in his life he's praying for a son, maybe he had earlier in life, but at this point he would have been praying for the redemption of Israel. He would have been saying, Lord, save your people. Lord, do what you promised all the way through since Genesis 3.15. Do what you said you would do, please, Lord. We are, we are begging you. We are looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Gabriel says, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a son. You are going to have a son. And he gives them all this great stuff about him. He names them. Just like Jesus was named, John gets named by God. And then he says this. Okay, Elizabeth will bear your son. Call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. I'm in verse 14 of Luke 1. Many will rejoice at his birth. So this son is going to be more significant than the average child for some reason. He will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even when he's in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah is getting this news. While he's serving God in the one temple there was, and he was serving him and praying, and he gets news from Gabriel, says, your son that you never imagined having is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And he doesn't believe it. 
He doesn't believe it. He's a Levitical priest serving in the one temple there was, praying to God for the redemption of Israel, and Gabriel comes and says, your prayers have been answered. God is doing it right now. You're going to have a son. He's the forerunner to the Messiah, and Zechariah doesn't believe it. Go figure. What's up with that? You're serving God. You believe the word of God, but you're not believing the word of God now. Something's broken. What happened? All I know is that this is an example of unmagnifying unbelief. So before he ever magnifies the Lord, he is literally, he's literally getting slammed for not believing the word of God. And so Gabriel says, okay, let me tell you what. You won't be able to speak until these things come to pass because you did not believe my word. Basically, you did not believe the word of God. You did not believe here he is in, at this moment in his life. We don't know why it happened. He's weak. He's unfaithful. He's, he's unstable. He's unmagnifying in unbelief. You and I have all been there. You know, we're not piling on Zechariah here. We've all been there. You've been there. If you're a believer today, if you, you love the Lord Jesus, there's been plenty of times, like since yesterday, that you're like, I'm not believing what God said in the Word because I chose to do something different. You look through your life, you're like, I'm not always believing what God says in his word. And I'm a believer. And so the people are waiting for Zechariah to come out of the temple, like, what's what's taking him so long? And he comes out and he can't speak. And they're like, he's seen a vision. So his wife conceives and keeps herself hidden for five months. And in the sixth month, Mary comes and visits Elizabeth. And Zechariah can't talk for nine plus months, probably going on 10 months because he doesn't talk until the day of the circumcision, eight days after John is born. So here he is, he cannot talk. What do you think he's thinking about for nine plus months? His wife has a baby growing in her womb. He sees her getting more and more pregnant. She's getting closer and closer to the day. Now, I've, I've, I've seen, you know, Angela pregnant with five kids. I, I know it. you get to the point, if you've had a baby, you get to the point where you're like, I'm ready. Like, we're ready for this baby to make its appearance. And Elizabeth is getting more and more pregnant, you know, ready to pop. And there's Zechariah with a heart pregnant with praise for God. He's been thinking for nine plus months about why he can't talk. Why he needs a writing pad to say what he wants to say. And so John is born and he still can't talk. Eight days later, they go to the temple and they're going to name him. We're going to call him Zechariah after his pops. No, his name is John, Elizabeth says. And then they're looking over at Zechariah like, are you sure about this? And he writes down, his name is John. God is gracious. Still hasn't said a word. He just wrote it. Look at the next verse. Verse 64, look at the next verse. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke 
blessing God. So what is recorded, what is known as the Benedictus, because in Latin that's the first word of his prophecy, blessed. The first words. He had a heart pregnant with praise for God because he had not believed the word of God. But he did now. He did now. It's like in your life when you're like, I've ignored God, or I've ignored the word of God, or I, I haven't been following the Lord as I should. And then you're like, God just brings you into something, right? With, this was a, a mercy from God that he could not speak. Have you ever been able not to speak? You know, we have trouble going five minutes without speaking. Just yesterday, I was reading this again, and I'm thinking, I'm going to see how long I can go without speaking. It didn't take very long before I said some words. I was so tempted before that, before that five minutes was up, to say some words. But what if you couldn't speak for nine whole months, and the reason you couldn't speak is because you didn't believe the word of God, and God was teaching you a most merciful lesson? This is what God does sometimes. He brings something into your life to teach you something significant that he wants you to grasp. Zechariah got it. Oh, oh, he got it all right. In fact, when, when, when he starts talking, just look at it. When he starts talking, look at verses 68 to 79 with me. I'm telling you what, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies, and he begins, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Oh, he does believe the word of God now. He's repented of his unbelief from not believing the word of God. This priest of God that should have believed it, now he believes it. He'd gone through the discipline of the Lord, the painful lessons. Some of you, this year, you've lost sight of, of the heavenly prize as a believer. You've gotten sidetracked. You, you've magnified something in your life that isn't Jesus and the word of God, and, and you have blown it up into such huge proportions that now God seems microscopic to you and everything is distorted. Some of you who only see me on Sundays, you probably think you wear your glasses all the time, right, Mike? No, I only need them for reading, reading my Bible or whatever, but I, I wear them all the time during 2020 because these are my COVID, uh, what are they, uh, windshield. This is my windshield, my COVID windshield, so you can't spit in my face and in my eyes. You can't get into my eye. Seriously, I was like, these are my eye protection. But the problem is when I'm reading, I'll read lots of books, and I'm reading, reading the Bible, reading books, and if I don't have my glasses on, and I'm trying to read, and I'm squinting, and then I, then I try to look, and it's, it's very distorted. And, you know, if I see you walking down the street, you might go, hey, Mike didn't say hi to me. I didn't recognize you, okay, because you were blurry. This is what happens in life. Many of you, in your life this year, maybe last week, maybe yesterday, you magnified something above God, above his word, and, and you, you, you just are minimizing God and his word, and it's just gotten so big in your life and everything's distorted. And you need God to clear up your vision. You need God to say, hold on, you need to believe my word. Zechariah believed the word of God. So if you want to magnify God Almighty, the merciful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to magnify him, you've got to believe the word of God. If you're a Christian today and you're following Christ, you've got to believe the word of God. Like you've got to actually say, I'm going to believe it. Like, here's my Bible and everything it says, 
Whether I understand it or not, I am going to believe it because it is the word of God. It is the living and abiding word of God. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of God stands forever. Isaiah 40, verse 9. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. The man of God may be adequate, fully equipped for every good work. I'm going to believe the word of God. I am not going to believe my mind. But how many of us, we get so unhinged, we get so weak, we get so unstable, and we start believing our mind over the mind of Christ that we have in the word of God. How many of you done that this this, this week even, this year, and you're just, you're, you're unstable because your vision is clouded, because you're not following the word of God. You're not believing God's word. You've magnified something else. And God mercifully disciplines you in some way to get your attention. I don't know how he does it. I just know he does it. He does it in my life. If you're a believer, he does it in your life. You need to believe the word of God, but also what you need to do if you want to magnify the merciful Savior, not just believe the word of God, you need to receive his salvation. Receive God's salvation. You're like, wait a minute, I'm already a believer. Good, keep telling yourself the gospel all the time. Do you know what, you know what Gabriel said? You didn't believe the good news that I was sent to give you. You didn't believe the gospel I was sent to give you. You need to keep preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And if you're not a believer, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. The Bible makes it really clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all unstable and dead in sin apart from Christ. And unless and until you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be lost forever. You're on your way to hell. You're running as far as you can away from God. You need to believe the word of God and receive God's salvation. Listen to what Zechariah says. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited, so God is visiting his people and redeemed his people. There was a cost and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. It's the only time in the New Testament that horn of salvation is used. It's sprinkled all through the Old Testament though. It's used in places like 2 Samuel chapter 22 verse 3 where David says to the Lord the words of a song. It's great to sing beautiful truths about God to God. Here's what he's saying. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You saved me. I call upon the name of the Lord. He's worthy to be praised. I'm saved. It's like in, in Psalm 18 verse 2. David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Very similar words. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. This is a very significant phrase, horn of my salvation. What does it mean? It means that Jesus is the anointed king that will save his people from their enemies. This is what Zechariah is saying. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He is remembering God's covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David. He is, it says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Here's Zechariah for nine plus months thinking about what the word of God says and not being able to say one word out loud. That we should be saved from our enemies, he says. In those days, they were thinking about a political savior. 
in those days, they were thinking about a social savior. Some of you are thinking about that kind of savior. And the people of Jesus' day were disappointed in him because he wasn't the kind of savior they wanted. You don't get to pick the kind of savior you get. You get, the kind, you get to have the savior that was provided. The only savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But some of you are going to be disappointed because you've been looking for a political savior. Some of you are disappointed because you've been looking for a social savior. Some of you are disappointed because you want a savior that locks right in on your deal and your mind and your thoughts, and he's saying, no, I'm playing by my own rules. Do you notice that Zechariah says twice in verse 70 and then verse 74 that we should be saved from our enemies? He is showing the mercy promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Some of you think that, the enem that your enemies are the, the members of your household. Some of you think that your, your enemies are members of a political party that you don't align with. Some of you think that your enemies are someone who wears a mask or doesn't wear a mask. Some of you think your enemies are someone who gets a vaccination or doesn't get a vaccination. Some of you think your enemies are people that you know and what you don't realize is you're going to be so disappointed in the Lord Jesus Christ when you find out he didn't die to save you from those supposed enemies. He died to save you from your real enemies, Satan and sin and death. Jesus died for our sins. You need to receive God's salvation. He died for your real enemies. And if you want to be saved, there's a lot of people who walk around saying, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus. There's even church members. There might be someone in this beloved church who says, well, yeah, I, I am a member of this church, so I must be a believer. Some people get in the side door somehow, and they don't ever confess their sins, they're not convicted of their sins, they just think they said yes to Jesus, and everything's going to be great because might as well try out Jesus because I've tried everything else. And the Bible makes it really clear. I don't know what amount of it needs to be present in your life, but there must be conviction of sin in your heart from the Holy Spirit who, who, who lets you know that you are a lost sinner on their way to hell and that you are dead spiritually and unless and until you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are under the wrath of God. You have to believe that. You have to have some sense of, of your spiritual bankruptcy as the Beatitudes talks about, blessed are the poor in spirit. You have to have some sense of your great need for Christ or if you turn to Christ, you're, you're, you might be believing a savior of your own mind rather than the one that is presented in the Bible. And I want you to believe the real Jesus in the Bible who died for sins, the one that these gals were singing about a few moments ago, and the ones that we've been, the, the Jesus we've been singing about all morning long, the Jesus we're praying to, the Jesus I'm reading about, the horn of salvation. You know that horn of salvation? The anointed king that dies for his people, defeating Satan and sin. That, that idea of horn, by the way, is a, a force that is used to push and to scatter and to, to destroy enemies. 
The horns of the altar in the Old Testament was the, the idea of the power of God's salvation. It was a place of refuge. It was a place of sanctuary. You're to run to Jesus for refuge from the wrath of God. Jesus died for sin in our place, paying the penalty we deserved. You need to receive God's salvation. You need to have conviction in your heart. There needs to be repentance of sin. I don't care if you're a a church member. I don't care if you've been upstanding. I don't care if you've given lots of money to the church or wherever you go to church. It doesn't matter. What, What Zechariah says, and it lines up perfectly with the rest of Scripture, is that John, and by the way, he's saying, my son isn't the main attraction. How many parents are like, my kids are the best? John's saying, oh, no, 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 the Messiah is the best. My son, he is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And, And John the Baptist would say about himself, I'm not the Christ. I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness, make way, ready to make straight the path of the Lord. I, I'm not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. And Zechariah is saying that you'll go before the Lord, John, to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. You have to know that you need forgiveness of your sins. If you have never come to the place where you realize that you need your sins forgiven and that you have conviction from the Holy Spirit of your sins, you're not saved. You you have to know what you're being saved from. Jesus died for, for sinners. It is a trustworthy statement. 1 Timothy 1.15, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul considered himself the foremost, the worst of all. Yes, you need to be that dialed into your need for Christ and receive his salvation. Here is Zechariah serving the Lord. And he says, we're going to serve him without fear, like serving as a priest before God, because we serve no small God. I hope that this Christmas is a Christmas that you resolve in your heart that you do not serve a small God. I love that line in O Holy Night that we sang earlier. As a new believer in Jesus, I, I heard this and it became my favorite line of any Christmas song. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, just wasting away till he appeared, till Christ appeared and the soul felt its worth. You who think that you're worth nothing, you who think that your soul is trash, you who think that God couldn't save you because of what you've done or what's been done to you, you who think that you're not worth it, you need to know that you are and that you are significant because Jesus died in your place for your sins. You need to believe the word of God and receive God's salvation. And then there's something else that's just just drenched uh, this this prophecy, and it's the mercy of God. The mercy of God. You'll notice that it says mercy, verse 72, to show mercy promised to our fathers. And then you'll notice in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. That word tender is kind of a gross word in the Bible. The reason why is because it means your intestines, your spleen, 
It's, it's the idea of the deepest parts of your body. Now, in that culture, back then, that was seen as an angry emotion. But to the Hebrews, tender mercies. It's splankthon. And it's literally your guts. The most tenderest of love. The most merciful of mercy. Just the tender mercies of God. So unlike the world, so unlike the harsh world, so unlike the unstable world, God's love is stable. God's love is kind. God's love is tender. The tender mercies of God. You need to remember the mercy of God. This is what Zechariah was remembering. And he saw it as a mercy. As a mercy that he was speechless for almost 10 months. He would look back in his life and probably point back. If he was doing the mercy list that I encourage you to make last week, if he was doing the mercy list of all the ways that God has shown him mercy, he'd probably put that at the top of his list. That God took away my voice the whole time that my wife was pregnant with John the Baptist because I didn't believe the word of God, but I do now. I've been making a mercy list. I've been sharing it with some of you. You know what I put out the first thing on my mercy list? That God was merciful to me before he regenerated me. Me, the knucklehead that didn't believe in Jesus, that thought he was a good guy, that was lost on his, on his way to hell. And, and God convicted me of my sins and saved me. And I'm telling you what, one of the biggest mercies of God in my life is, is preserving me pre-regeneration. And I think about him saving me in 1982, I think about him giving me a wonderful wife and Angela, giving us five kids by birth and one by marriage, giving us uh, two grandkids and four foster kids. But on my mercy list are also some of the most painful things in my life. On there I put that in 2001 when I was diagnosed with a, with a heart condition, AFib, a lot of people have it. I remember thinking, oh, my life's over. I can't do any 10Ks. I can't run the basketball court. I can't do this or that. The doctor's like, lots of people have it. You'll be fine. And I had to get through and push through the fear and, and worrying, and, and God gave me freedom over that. And then for 13 years, I didn't fly. From 2000 to 2013, I didn't fly in an airplane because I was afraid of flying. And I didn't tell anyone for a long time. God gave me victory and freedom over that. Those are merciful gifts. I, look, I, I think about those two things, going 13 years with fear and, and even 19 years with something I don't want as some of the biggest mercies of God in my life because he has taught me so much. And he's tenderized my heart so much because of it. You need to remember God's mercy. Here's what John Owen says. How then can we behold the glory of Christ? We need, firstly, a spiritual understanding of his glory as revealed in Scripture. You need to believe the Word of God. And secondly, we need to think much about him if we wish to enjoy him fully. You need to remember his mercy. You need to remember the mercy of God. In Lamentations 3, verses 22 to 24. In Lamentations, lamenting the situation, the Holy Spirit says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You know, sometimes when you have a drain that's clogged, maybe it's your sink, maybe it's your shower, you got to take a plunger and kind of plunge it, you know, and try to get it unclogged. 
That's kind of how some of your souls might be. They're so clogged up with things from your mind that aren't from the Word of God, aren't from the mind of Christ, that you've gotten clogged up spiritually, and you need God to reach down and unclog the, 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 the arteries of your heart, spiritually speaking, so that you can actually believe the Word of God, receive His salvation, and remember His mercy. God does that, and He does that mercifully. He can do that for you today. No matter what you've been through, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Whether you're a believer or not a believer. If you're not a believer, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus today. You need to believe in a merciful Savior who, who gives forgiveness of sin. And if you're a believer today, you need to believe in a merciful Savior that gives forgiveness of sin and keep following Him every moment of your life. Resolve to believe this perfect Savior. You haven't seen Him. As 1 Peter 1.8 says, you haven't seen Him. But you believe in Him. And you don't see him right now. But you, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. You can look at this year and you can say, my year is, is shot, my life is ruined. You can go there if you want. Or you can take the high road and say, you know what, because of the tender mercy of my God, by the way, he says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, the day spring, the sunrise, the dawning of the day. That's speaking of Jesus Christ. He is coming back. He is coming back. He came to save sinners, and he is coming back with life for all who believe, with judgment for those who refuse him. But don't wait. Don't say, you know, someday I'll, I'll believe in Jesus. You might even be a believer and say, someday I'm going to repent of what I'm doing in my life. Don't wait. Believe God's saving mercy, not your own mind. Lord, thank you for the true gritty goodness of Christmas and the bare word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you've pared us down to the basics so many times this year and in our lives. Lord, thank you that something great happened when Christ was born. Thank you that something great happened when Christ died on the cross. Thank you that something great happened when Christ rose from the dead. And thank you that something great will happen as we walk with you and seek to glorify you and obey you and walk in repentance. And thank you that something great will happen when Christ returns and we'll be with him forever. And we praise you, Lord. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're able, would you stand and join us as we close singing, He Shall Reign Forevermore.
so good to us. He's so merciful. Even to be able to let us uh, to join together in prayer and praise and reading the word, hearing the word. I want to encourage you to come to Christmas Eve here, 4 p.m., right here under this tent. We'll have candlelight service. It'll be great Thursday. Also, just want you to know there's areas to fellowship around the campus to either sit or stand together. And uh, before you just leave, please uh, linger and take some time with some people to get reconnected. And let's close the service with 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We love you, Lord. We want to glorify you every place you send us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.